Forgive you. We're a little late, so I'll give Jim a break on this one. Thank you. Well, you know, we're getting ready for the season. Got a couple coming. Sorry for the delay, guys. Uh, it's budget day. Um, as a, the, um, I was supposed to uh, kick this off with uh, Director Mulvaney. He's still on a call with, uh, with the governors. We continue to host a, a ton of briefings today uh, with key stakeholders. And so uh, my goal, if this times out right, is that as we finish up, Director Mulvaney will, will walk in the room right on cue. And then we will, uh, he will talk to you a little bit about the budget, and, uh, and we will walk through Q&A on that. So uh, hopefully this all works. Um, I'm going to skip past the part where I say thank you, Director Mulvaney. Um, <laughs> as the director will say, uh, the president's budget blueprint keeps his promise to put America's security first, turning his words directly into policies that restore and respect for our citizens' hard-earned tax dollars. Uh, there were some additional non-events budget bu non-budget events of the day. Uh, this morning, the president had a bilateral meeting with the T. Such uh, Kenny of Ireland. Our two nations have a long history, common values, and important economic ties. The president was honored to host him here in the Oval Office and recommit to strong social, political, and economic relations between the U.S. and Ireland. Uh, this afternoon, the president made the remarks at the Friends of Ireland luncheon at the Capitol. This traditional lunch celebrating Americans' bipartisan commitment to peace and security in Ireland was started in 1983 by President Reagan and Speaker O'Neill, both proud Irish Americans, and has been attended by every president, speaker, and T-such of Ireland since then. And also while at the Capitol this afternoon, right around now, uh, the Vice President is swearing in former Senator Dan Coats as the next Director of National Intelligence uh, in his ceremonial office. Former Senator Coates has clearly demonstrated the deep subject or the subject matter expertise and sound judgment required to lead our intelligence community, and the President is finally glad to have him on board as part of his team. Later this evening, the President, along with T. Such Kenny, will attend the St. Patrick's Day reception and participate in the annual Shamrock Ceremony. Since 1952, the President has invited the T. Such to come to the White House in celebration of St. Patrick's Day where they present a bowl of shamrocks as a symbol of the profound and lasting relationship between the two countries. The President and T. Such Kenny will also make remarks. I have a few more notes before I get to uh, Director Mulvaney. First, I wanted to share with you guys, uh, it's a letter that should be going out uh, shortly, if it hasn't already, that the President signed this morning wishing Ray Chavez, uh, the oldest living survivor of Pearl Harbor, a happy 105th birthday. Um, our nation owes Mr. Chavez's generation and he a great generation, a debt of gratitude for extraordinary legacy of liberty, freedom around the world, fighting to ensure security and prosper, uh, prosperity for millions. A copy of the, uh, of the letter will be sent out if it hasn't already, and obviously we all extend our warm uh, wishes to Ray and his family as they celebrate his 105th, and the President signed the letter uh, wishing that he hopes to have several more uh, birthdays to come. Uh, this afternoon, the President announced his intent to nominate several individuals to key posts at the Department of Defense. Robert Daigle as the Director of Cost Assessment and Program Evaluation, Elaine McCluster as Principal Deputy Undersecretary of Defense, David Norquist as Undersecretary of Defense and Comptroller, 
Kenneth Rapano as Assistant Secretary of Defense for Homeland Security and Global Homeland Defense and Global Security, Patrick Shanahan as Deputy Secretary of Defense, and David Joel Trachtenberg as Principal Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Policy. The President is glad to have these extremely qualified men and women on board to assist Secretary Mattis as he undertakes the great rebuilding of our nation's military. Also this afternoon, the President declared a major disaster in the state of California and ordered federal assistance to supplement state, tribal, and local recovery efforts in the areas affected by severe winter storms, flooding, and mudslides this January. We also announced this afternoon that Second Lady Karen Pence will lead the presidential delegation to the 2017 Special Olympics World Winter Games in Austria. The House Budget Committee met earlier this morning and approved the American Health Care Act, making it now the third committee to move the, ACA, the AHCA forward. We're working hand in glove with the House to consider improvements, and we're confident that this thoughtful and uh, thorough process will lead to legislation that reforms our health care, making it more affordable and accessible to every American. Since we won't have a chance to meet tomorrow in light of the President and Chancellor Merkel's uh, press conference, I want to quickly walk you through a couple of events on the President's schedule. Tomorrow, of course, the President will welcome General German Chancellor Merkel here to the White House, uh, rescheduling from the, uh, the snow uh, and climate weather that prevented that from happening the other day. The President and the Chancellor have a series of meetings and then we'll host a roundtable focusing on the importance of vocational training with both American and German business leaders. They will also have a press conference in the afternoon. Uh, we'll have details on the entire day later this afternoon. Also tomorrow, the President will attend a listening session with Veterans Affairs and, veteran, and VA Secretary Shulkin and representative from the various uh, veteran services organizations. It's incredibly important to the President that we reform the VA system so they can fulfill the promises made to the women, men and women who risk their lives for our nation. He looks forward to discussing potential changes that can help improve the Veterans Administration. On Monday, the President will meet with Bill Gates, the co-founder of Microsoft. He'll also have lunch with the Vice President and a meeting with the Secretary of State. Later that afternoon, the President will welcome uh, Prime Minister Abadi of Iraq to the White House. And on Wednesday, the President has invited all 49 members of the Congressional Black Caucus to come to the White House for a meeting. The President looks forward to welcoming for what he hopes will be a productive discussion. And I also want to remind everyone that I did yesterday uh, via Twitter that the lottery for the 139th annual White House Easter Egg Roll is open uh, until Saturday uh, of this coming Saturday. Uh, everyone who's interested in attending uh, can go to recreation.gov. Further information is at whitehouse.gov for details. Uh, at his rally last night, the President addressed the decision by the Federal Court, the Federal District Court in Hawaii uh, to block his lawfully execute, uh, executive order. As the President said last night, quote, the law and the Constitution give the power, the President, the power to suspend immigration when he deems it to be necessary in the national interest. The Court didn't even bother to quote the relevant statute in its opinion, which could have plainly shown that the President clearly has this authority. I know you've heard it before, but since the Court didn't, let me quote it again for you. 8 U.S. Code 1182 states, quote, whenever the President finds the entry of alien, any aliens or class of any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, he may, by proclamation, and for such period as he deem necessary, suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants, or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem appropriate." End quote. 
The Department of Justice, quote, strongly dis- said that in a statement that they strongly disagree with the federal district court's ruling, which is flawed in both reasoning and scope. DOJ continued, quote, the president's executive order falls squarely within his lawful authority in seeking to protect our nation's security, and the department will continue to defend his executive order in the courts. The department is exploring all available options to vigorously defend this executive order. We intend to appeal the flawed rulings. Currently, the Department of Justice is determining the legal strategy and timing. We expect action to be taken soon to appeal the reeling in the Fourth Circuit and to seek clarification of the order prior to appeal in the Ninth Circuit. The danger is real and the law is clear. The president was elected to change our broken immigration system, and he will continue to exercise his constitutional authority and presidential responsibility to protect our nation. And just before I get to your questions, uh, and then before I will introduce Director Mulvaney, I just want to follow up on a couple questions that uh, have come up recently. John Decker asked multiple times on the enforcement of the president's executive order to restrict uh, lobbying activities of executive branch employees, which includes a five-year ban on lobbying agencies where you've served and a lifetime ban on lobbying from foreign governments. I said I'd get back to John, so here we go. Uh, The executive order itself has a section, Section 5, which focuses on enforcement. The order outlines that each agency head is tasked with working with the Office of Government Ethics to establish procedures for determining potential violations of the Ethics Pledge. Should a violation be determined, the executive order authorizes the Department of Justice to enforce the order through several mechanisms. Debarment proceedings, these would restrict an individual or his or her associated entities from doing business with the federal government seeking an injunction, such as a restraining order from lobbying for 10 years, the five years in the ethics agreement plus an additional five years, uh, or civil penalties, such as a fine commensurate with the nature of the violation. The President fully expects the Department of Justice to vigorously enforce this executive order. Also yesterday, several of you asked where the House is in regard to additional legislation as outlined in the third prong of the ACHA. AHCA and uh, the President's plan to reform health care. I'm pleased to note uh, that last night Leader McCarthy in the House introduced four pieces of legislation that will remove burdensome regulations, lower costs, and increase access, as we've noted. Uh, The Competitive uh, Health Insurance Reform Act, H.R. 372, uh, which eliminates antitrust protection for insurance provider, creating competition so that Americans are not left with just one choice for health care coverage. Uh, The Small Business Health Fairness Act, H.R. 1101, which allows small businesses to band together and negotiate lower prices. Uh, The Protecting Access to Care Act, uh, H.R. 1215, which limits frivolous lawsuits that unnecessarily drive up health care costs. And the Self-Insurance Protection Act, H.R. 1304, which protects workers who get their health care coverage from employers that self-insure by providing a backstop on catastrophic losses. Uh, And finally, in terms of following up from yesterday, Uh, In regard to the DOJ's indictments of Russian hackers on Yahoo data, uh, this action demonstrates the United States' commitment to identifying cyber criminals and bringing them to justice no matter where they are. It also highlights the criminal importance of international cooperation to our cyber regime. And like I said yesterday, as though this is a lawful enforcement action, anything beyond that, I would direct you to the Department of Justice and the FBI for further details. Uh, Before I continue, let me turn it over to Director Mulvaney to talk a little bit about the budget. Director. Thanks very much. Good afternoon and happy day before St. Patrick's Day, also known as Budget Day. Um, Most of you heard me talk about the budget before, so I'm not going to say too many things in opening uh, before we get to your questions. But we will remind you that this is what we're calling the American First budget. We had American First 
an America First candidate. You now have an America First president, and it shouldn't surprise anybody that we have an America First budget. You've seen the details. Uh, as we talked about last week, $54 billion of additional defense spending. We have some more details today on where that money is going. Um, we're seeing uh, increases at the VA, increases within the Department of Justice for law enforcement, increases within the Department of Homeland Security for things that include border security uh, and immigration controls, immigrations within, uh, excuse me, uh, increases within the Department of Energy to deal with a nuclear triad, and then corresponding reductions in similar amounts offsetting dollar for dollar uh, in other programs. Uh, the largest reduction, if you've seen the budget already, is a 31 percent reduction within the Environmental Protection Agency. The next largest reduction on a percentage basis is within Department of State, and the other departments are reduced um, in lesser amounts. I think the smallest reduction we have is NASA, which is just less than 1 percent. But there again, as with many of the agencies, you'll see certain line items within those budgets plussed up. Um, this is the message the President wanted to send to the public, to the press, to, the, to Capitol Hill. He wants more money for defense, more money for border enforcement, more money for law enforcement generally, more money for the vets, uh, more money for school choice, and then to offset that money with savings elsewhere so that all of that is done without an additional dollar added to the deficit, as I've mentioned before. This, this budget does not balance the budget. This budget simply reallocates and reprioritizes spending as any family or business would do. This budget does not, for those of you who were not here last week, this budget does not address the big picture items such as policy changes, revenue flows, tax policy, mandatory spending. This is simply the top line spending budget. It's why we call it the budget blueprint. Uh, and not the full budget. That full budget, which will contain all the rest of those uh, pieces and parts, will be released in May. Um, before I take questions, I'm going to do something I don't ordinarily do, and I'm sure it's kind of new. I'm going to call on the New York Times um, because they're in trouble. Apparently, is there a, a where's my New York Times guy? Matt Flagenheimer and Alan Rappaport. Okay, are in big trouble. I'll give you the first question, but you have to deliver this message to them. They printed this morning that I am the father of 17-year-old triplet girls. My 17-year-old daughter really wishes that were happy, or really wishes that had happened. But my two 17-year-old sons are really upset. Um, so if you could, uh, if you could clarify that, that would be great. And I'll give you the first question if you if you've got one. So go ahead. Okay, well. Uh, we're not very good at math, obviously, at the New York Times. Uh, math is right. It's actually the gender that was wrong. <laughs> but, uh, sir, during the campaign, President Trump, then candidate Trump, talked about uh, the national debt, mm -hmm. uh, which, of course, has reached around $20 trillion. You mentioned it in your budget message uh, this morning. Uh, is there a plan, as the President talked about during last year's campaign, to actually eliminate the national debt in eight years? He said during the campaign, it would be easy to actually eliminate the entire debt, not the deficit, but the debt in eight years. Is that something that this president is actually committed to trying to do? It's a good question. It's a fair question. I would just suggest to you it's not the right time for the question. The budget blueprint, again, does not deal with the debt. It even doesn't even deal with the deficit. It is simply the first part of the appropriations process. We'll send this up to the Hill now and the, the appropriations committees of the House and the Senate. Of course, the House controls the power of the purse. The Senate, excuse me, Congress controls the power of the purse. And this will be the first step in that process. We will start to address the issues of the longer-term deficit, longer-term debt in that larger budget. And of course, we'll have to deal at that time with things like mandatory spending, tax policy, revenue flows um, to the government. So again, it's a fair question. I just don't think now is the time to ask the question. I question the 28% uh, that comes out of the State Department. I know that you're leaving a lot of discretion 
to the people who are in charge there at all of these agencies for how to implement these cuts, but how much is intended to come out of the foreign aid budget of that $10 billion? A lot of it. Um, keep in mind, as, I, as I've said before, one of the reasons that you've seen such a dramatic reduction in the State Department on a percentage basis is not that this president thinks that diplomacy is not important. In fact, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, we've already seen that Secretary Tillerson has had a tremendous uh, one diplomatic success already on the deal he cut with Iraq. Um, the president believes in diplomacy, and we believe that this budget protects that core function of the State Department. It just so happens that much of the foreign aid that the president talked about in campaign, much of the money that goes to climate research, green energy, those types of things are actually in the State Department budget. If those line items had been in the Department of Commerce, you would see Department of Commerce having gone down by that, that by a similarly large percentage. So the answer to your question is that most of the cuts within the State Department try to focus directly on foreign aid. Yes, sir. Yes, the, uh, the budget showed a 0.8% decrease for NASA. But you've also talked about in the administration using private companies such as SpaceX, for example, for more of that. So does this show some, you know, is some of this going to be shifted over to the private sector? And does this show a commitment on the administration's part towards science and NASA? It does. Again, if you go back and you do what we did, which is go back to the president's speeches, the interviews he gave, and just talking to him, we tried to identify his priorities. And he, one of the things he told us was, look, I'm still interested in America being involved in space, in space exploration. So even though the overall top line number at NASA is reduced by a small fraction, I think it's 0.8%, as you mentioned, individual line items that deal with specifically space exploration are actually plussed up. And part of the, part of the, the intent there is to promote exactly what you just talked about. Uh, yes, sir questions. Your own experience in the House tells you that a lot of these cuts haven't been voted for before. Do you consider this budget an opening bid and do you expect a lot of pushback even from Republicans on the specificity of the size of these cuts? And secondly, to take your point about the President's words on the campaign, those of us who traveled around with him remember, he said he didn't want to touch Social Security, Medicare, the big entitlements. The fact that that's not in this budget, is that a signal that those programs are going to remain untouched, and as the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget said, that ignores 70 percent of spending and 90 percent of its growth over the next decade. I'll deal with the second one first, which is the President is absolutely going to keep the promises he kept on the campaign trail. Again, you will see no reference in Social Security here, no reference to Medicare here, no reference to Medicaid here or any of the other mandatory programs, what some people call entitlement programs, because that's not what this budget is. This is the discretionary part of the budget, half of which, as you know, is defense and the other half is everything else, the alphabet soup of government. So just because it's not here doesn't mean we're dodging the issue. You would never see in any budget blueprint that deals with the top line spending numbers, Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid. To your other question about it not being popular on the Hill. Um, yeah, I, uh, I can recognize that. Uh, I've been on the Hill enough to know that some of these would be very unpopular. Keep in mind, the President is in a unique position. Um, I've been a member of Congress. I represented 700,000 people in South Carolina. I had my constituency. It was a district. Senators represent an entire state. Um, we're always dealing with special interests from back home. We're dealing with lobbyists from back home. The President is beholden to none of that. The president is, is drafted a budget for the entire nation because that's who he sees himself as representing. He did not have ask lobbyists for input on this. He did not ask special input, special interests for input on this. And he certainly didn't focus on how these programs might impact a specific congressional district. Um, but we know that going into it. Uh, and again, the message we're sending to the Hill is we want more money for the things the president talked about, defense being the top one, national security. 
and we don't want to add to the budget deficit. If Congress has another way to do that, we're happy to talk about it. Yes, sir, in the glasses. James Bays from Al Jazeera. The United Nations says the world's currently facing the largest humanitarian crisis since the end of World War II. 20 million people in just four countries facing starvation or famine, and yet you're cutting funding to the UN, funding to the foreign aid budget. Are you worried that some of the most vulnerable people on earth will suffer as a, as a result? Now, we're absolutely reducing funding to the UN and to the various foreign aid programs, including those run by the UN and other agencies. That should come as a surprise to no one who watched the campaign. The president said specifically hundreds of times, you covered him, I'm going to spend less money on people overseas and more money on people back home. And that's exactly what we're doing with this budget. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Um, given your focus on dollar for dollar offsets in fiscal 18, in for your fiscal set, uh, fiscal year 2017 request, you didn't insist on dollar for dollar offsets. Why is that? Why are you not concerned about adding to the deficit in fiscal 2017? The um, the large part of the, uh, the 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 point the question deals with the t 2017 request, which is a 30 billion dollar. I think it's actually three billion uh, billion and a half in there for the wall. Um, and it's not entirely offset. There's a couple reasons for that. One of them is time. Um, another one is that some of that is what they call overseas contingency operations. Now, you also know that I have a, a somewhat uh, colored history with the, uh, with the overseas contingency operation, but I will tell you that we went through this and made sure that the money that's being requested is true OCO. Uh, means that it's focused truly on the areas where we involved overseas, Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, those types of places. So we have sent them $18 billion worth of proposed reductions for the 2017, uh, but not all of them were offset. Yes, ma'am. Melanie Otter, CNSnews.com. The President has called for eliminating funding for the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the National Endowment for, for the Arts. Yet the Republican Congress sends the President appropriations bills that fund CPV and NEA. Will he veto those bills and tell the Republican leadership to send bills that defund those things? I think the message the President sent right now is that we want to defund those. And there's completely defensible reasons for doing that. It's a simple message, by the way. Um, I put myself in the shoes of that, that steel worker in Ohio, the, the coal miner, the coal mining family in West Virginia, the, 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 the mother of two in Detroit. And I'm saying, okay, I have to go ask these folks for money and I have to tell them where I'm going to spend it. Can I really go to those folks, look them in the eye and say, look, I want to take money from you and I want to give it to the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That is a really hard sell. In fact, something we don't think we can defend anymore. As to specific vetoes, you and I both know it doesn't come over one by one. Line item by line item doesn't come over. They come over in large appropriations bills. And we'll work with Congress to go through the appropriations process and we'll make determinations on whether or not to sign appropriations bills or veto them um, at the appropriate time. Yes, sir. In the several places in the budget where you're talking about eliminating funding for unauthorized programs. Yeah. Are you laying down a marker about unauthorized programs and do you think spending discipline would be improved if Congress authorized everything that it was? We hope so. For those of you who aren't, aren't familiar with this, we actually spend a lot of money in the federal government that's on programs that aren't authorized at all. Remember, the spending is sort of, to break it down, it's sort of a three-step process to spend money. You have to budget for it first. Um, then you have to uh, authorize it, and then you have to appropriate it. But a lot of the programs that we've spent money on for years have been unauthorized spending. Either they used to be authorized, actually most of them used to be authorized, and then they simply lapsed, and some of them were just never authorized in the first place. They simply were appropriated without any authorization. And yeah, the message is that's not the right way to do it. 
Um, in fact, we think that's the wrong way to do it. You, took, you heard the president talk specifically on the campaign trail about at least 5% reductions for unauthorized programs, and that's what generated this budget. Right. Yes, sir. Director Mulvaney, you talk about this budget basically keeping the promises that the president made during the course of the campaign. The housing and urban development, uh, from housing and urban, de urban development, this budget blueprint calls for a 13% reduction, $6 billion. During the course of the campaign, President Trump said specifically to urban black voters, he says, what do you have to lose? It turns out what they have to lose is at least $6 billion that goes to many programs that benefit those communities. What do you say to those Americans who feel that, that promise? Nobody's going to get kicked out of their houses. Um, what we did when we looked at the, at the HUD budget was try to figure out a way to spend money better. And what we saw, and I talked to Dr. Carson about this just today, what we saw as we went through the analysis of the HUD budget is that a lot of their money got spent on government housing and building it. It's actually infrastructure. Okay? And what Senator Carson, excuse me, Senator, what Secretary Carson and I talked about is figuring out a way to do that better. And as we did that, what we realized was we are working on a large infrastructure program that we hope to run, roll out this summer. And what Secretary Carson wants to do is take the money for the infrastructure that's in HUD right now and not very well run and move that into this larger program. In fact, you'll see the same line items uh, or similar line items in the Department of Transportation for the same reason. These, these do not mean the president is changing his commitment to infrastructure. Again, far from it. What we're saying is, look, for years and years, we have built infrastructure like this, and it doesn't work very well. You know well. So let me finish and I'll come back to you. And then so what we're doing now is we're taking it out of the discretionary budget, and we're going to move it into the larger infrastructure plan this summer. But I'm, you know yes. well, housing and urban development and the community development block grants aren't exclusively about housing. They support a variety of different programs, including, in part, Meals on Wheels that affects a lot of Americans. In Austin, Texas today, one organization there that delivers those meals to thousands of elderly says that those citizens will no longer be able to be provided those meals in those communities. So what do you say to those Americans who are ultimately losing out, not on housing, but on other things that are taken out right. of this budget? And as you know, or I think you know, that Meals on Wheels is not a federal program. It's part of that community, that CDBGs, the block grants that we give to the states. And what Which and, 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 and many states make the decision to use that money on Meals on Wheels. Here's what I can tell you about CDBGs, because that's what we fund, right? Is that we spent $150 billion on those programs since the 1970s. These are these the, the, the CDBGs have been identified as programs since I believe the first, uh, actually the second Bush administration, as ones that were just not showing any results. That we can't do that anymore. We we can't spend money because on programs just because they sound good and great. Meals on Wheels sounds great. Again, that's a state decision to fund that particular portion to it to take the, the federal money and give it to the states and say, look, we want to give you money for programs that don't work. I can't defend that anymore. We cannot defend that anymore. We're $20 trillion in debt. We're going to spend money. We're going to spend a lot of money, but we're not going to spend it on programs that cannot show that they actually deliver the promises that we've made to people. So you're talking about programs that do work or don't work. There's a program called The Shine that's in Pennsylvania, rural counties of Pennsylvania that provides after-school educational programs for individuals in those areas, which so, just so happens to be the state that helped propel President Trump mm -hmm. uh, to the White House. I'm curious what you say to those Americans in a community where they tell me today that 800 individuals will no longer, children who need it most, will no longer be provided in those most needy of communities the educational care they need. I'm not familiar. Y'all are an advantage over me because I have to memorize all 4,000 line items. But, so let's talk about after-school programs generally. They're supposed to be educational programs, right? I mean, that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to help kids who can't, who don't get fed at home get fed so they do better in school. Guess what? There's no demonstrable evidence they're actually doing that. There's no demonstrable evidence they're actually helping results, helping kids do better in school, which is what, when we took your money from you to say, look, we're going to go spend on an after-school program, the way we justified it was, these programs are going to help these kids do better in school and get better jobs. 
and clear, we can't that prove no that that's happening. We're, to be clear, we're saying the administration with this budget is saying that no after-school programs out there are doing their job in helping educate these children. No, but I don't. I, and again, I, now you're asking me a question I don't know the answer to, but I don't believe we cut all the funding for those types of things. Yes, sir. Just to follow up on that, uh, you were talking about the steel worker in Ohio and the coal miner in Pennsylvania and, and so on, uh, but those workers may have an elderly mother who depends on uh, the Meals on Wheels program, who, who may have kids in Head Start. And yesterday or the day before, you described this as a hard power budget, but is it also a hard-hearted budget? No, I don't think so. I, in fact, I think it's I think it's probably one of the most compassionate things we can do to actually you, you, you're, 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 help the elderly. You're only kids. focusing on half of the equation, right? You're focusing on recipients of the money. We're trying to focus on both the recipients of the money and the folks who give us the money in the first place. And I think it's fairly compassionate to go to them and say, look, we're not going to ask you for your hard-earned money anymore. Single mom of two in Detroit, okay? Give us your money. We're not going to do that anymore unless we can, unless we can, unless we can, unless we can, unless we can please, please let me finish, please let me finish, unless we can guarantee to you that that money is actually be used in a proper function. And I think that is about as compassionate as you can get. Yes, yes ma'am. I have a question uh, on the border wall. Sure. Maria Pena with La Pinion, thank you for doing this. Um, you know, the budget, as I understand it, um, asked for $4.1 billion, so $1.5 for this year and, and $2.6 for the following year. Um, there's no mention at all of whether or not Mexico is going to help pay for it or reimburse the U.S. for it, as the President pledged. So where is that money coming from for the border wall? Uh, a couple of things. Your number is correct. It's 1.5 for 2017, back to your question about 2017, and I think 2.6 for 2018. People have asked me a couple of times, does that build the whole wall? No, it, it doesn't, but it gets us a start on the program, and you see some of the wall being built this year, and then, of course, obviously, we increase funding in 2018, but the wall will not will take longer than two years to build. As to the source of funds, that's up to the President and the Treasury and the State Department. I'm the folks, I'm the guy, we're the guys at OMB and the gals at OMB who take the money that we have and allocate it on a budgetary process, so it's up to somebody else to figure out where the money comes from. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, the budget uh, for DOJ zeroes out reimbursements for state and local jails holding immigrants in the country illegally. Some of that money now goes to sanctuary cities. Is that part of the President's promise to withhold funding from sanctuary cities and are there other elements of the budget intended to carry out that punishment that the president uh, talked about? Yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm not familiar with that particular line item, so let me deal with the DOJ like this. And also Homeland, because there are some increases in Homeland that deal with this sort of topic. You're going to see an increase in Homeland for increase in detention facilities. It's a fairly significant increase in the detention facilities because we have, the president has said he wants to stop the catch and release program. In fact, he's signed an executive order to do just that. And we fund that. We increase the amount of money for detention facilities for folks who come into the country illegally. I'll give you a follow-up because I didn't answer your first question very well. To a question about the cuts you're making to things like transportation and housing. Um, you said those would be paid for later with other appropriations, but you said this would be balanced. And I know you've been a fiscal hawk yourself. It sounds like a bit of a shell game, though, where you're, you're saying now this is a balanced budget, but you're saying you're not stopping to pay for other things because those will be paid for later, but then where are you going to pay for those other things? Right. Well, and again, Eventually, it's not, it's, doesn't all this stuff have to get paid for? And just to clarify, it's not a balanced budget. There will still be roughly a $488 billion deficit according to the Congressional Budget Office next year. We simply didn't add to that in order to spend more money on the President's priorities regarding moving projects out of the 
say, the base budgets for the agencies and into the infrastructure. The infrastructure program is something we've just recently started. It won't probably come until summer or maybe even early fall. We have to do uh, Obamacare repeal and replace first, then tax reform second. That leaves infrastructure probably third, which may come after the August recess in Congress. Um, so I, 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 you, you're making an assumption that I'm not willing to make. You're making an assumption that all that infrastructure that we provide for later on in the year is going to go to the deficit, and I'm not willing to make that assumption. Yes, sir. Hi, Director. I have two short questions. One, uh, the blueprint provides uh, robust funding for embassy security. Yes, sir. Uh, citing the Benghazi Accountability Review Board. Does that mean there'll be an increase, uh, considering all the criticism that the President and Republicans uh, levied against President Obama for supposedly cutting embassy security? That's one of those line items that we leave up to uh, to Secretary Tillerson. Um, he and I talked about the uh, the, sec the um, State Department budget and how he decides to allocate that. It may be that there are some embassies that don't need a lot more security and some that do. Some that do. So we give him the flexibility to do that. The gentleman in the back had a question. Um, many countries around the globe did take a very seriously President Trump that he will cut the phone aid because most of the countries getting U.S. aid were not with the U.S. supporting terrorism against the U.S. and also they were not voting with the U.S. So how does President Trump feel now about those countries? Will they continue the aid? Because the U.S. taxpayers have been asking that we don't have to spend on those countries who are against the U.S. Yeah, I, I, again, I come back to what the President said on the campaign, which is that he's going to spend less money overseas. Um, to your question, though, because this came up the other day, which is the hard power versus soft power, um, there's a very deliberate attempt here to send a message to our allies and our friends, such as India, and our adversaries uh, with other countries, shall we say, which is that this is a hard power budget, that this administration intends to change course from a soft power budget to a hard power budget, and that's a message that our adversaries and our, our, uh, our allies alike should take. I'll take one more because I'm sort of running down. Yes, ma'am. More about what message the president is trying to send uh, by eliminating a lot of funding for science and climate change, as you research as you mentioned earlier. Um, and just to follow up later, when you chance to answer that. Sure. Um, a couple different messages when we talk about science and and climate change. Well, let's deal with the, let's deal with the, them separately. Um, on science, we're going to function. We're going to focus on the core function. Um, there's reductions, for example, I think in the uh, in the NIH, National Institutes for Health. Why? Um, thank you. Um, why? Um, because we think there's been mission creep. We think they do things that are outside their core functions. We think there's tremendous opportunity for savings. We recommend, for example, that a couple of facilities be combined and there'd be cost savings from that. Again, this this comes back to the president's business person view of government, which is if you took over this as a CEO and you look at this on a spreadsheet and go, why do we have all of these facilities? When, why do we have seven when we can do the same job with three? Won't that save money? And the answer is yes. So part of your answer is focusing on efficiencies and focusing on doing what we do better. Regarding the question as to climate change, I think the President was fairly straightforward. That we're not spending money on that anymore. We consider that to be a waste of your money to go out and do that. So that is a specific tie to his uh, to his campaign. Like, yes, I'm sorry. You had a follow up. Now I'm just really quick on Meals on Wheels. You mentioned that it's one of those programs you guys determined had not been uh, doing its job effectively. What evidence are you using to um, make that statement? And is is not feeding seniors in and of itself? The fulfillment of the, and the my understanding from from having been in the state government, and I, I may have this wrong. I've been wrong several times today. This may not be the first time. But my understanding of Meals on Wheels is that that is a state determination. We, we federal government doesn't directly fund that. 
it funds the central uh, community development block grants, the CDBGs. And some states choose to take the money and do um, Meals on Wheels. Other states and localities might choose to do something else. With them. We look at the CDBGs, and when we do that, we look at this as $150 billion spent over 40 years with, with no, without the appreciable benefits to show for that type of taxpayer expenditure, and that's why we have the reduction. Uh, no, because I'm going to elaborate. How Sean does this every day for an hour and a half, I have no idea. Um, but I'm going to... Uh, yeah, keep going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've been up since 4 a.m. this morning, so I'm going to turn it back over to Sean. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, guys. Around here, that's a half day. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, thanks, guys. Um, anyway, so I'll kick it off. Jonathan Carl. Uh, so, uh, Sean, uh, did before yesterday, you said you were extremely confident that uh, the House and Senate Intelligence Committees would ultimately vindicate the President's allegation that Trump Tower was wiretapped, as I'm sure you have now seen. The Senate Intelligence Committee has said they see no indications Trump Tower was the subject of surveillance. That seems to be a pretty blanket statement. What's your reaction? Well, I, I think there are several things. I would also it, – it's interesting to me that, you know, just as a, as a point of interest, that when, when one entity says one thing that, uh, that proves – that claims one thing, you guys cover it ad nauseum. When Devin Nunez came out and said, I think it's very possible yesterday, there was crickets from you guys. When Devin Nunez came out and said there was no connection that he saw to Russia, crickets. When Tom Cotton said the same, you don't want to cover the stuff. No, no, hold on. No evidence of wiretapping at Trump Tower. So now you've had the House Intelligence Committee and the Senate Intelligence Committee. No, no, actually, here's his quote, Jonathan. No, no, here's the direct quote. I think it's very possible, end quote. That's what he said when he said the president's communications could have been swept up in collection. So, again, I I saw no indication of wiretapping. I understand that. And and I think the president's been very clear when he talked about this, and he talked about it last night. When we talked about wiretapping, he meant surveillance. And that there have been incidents that have occurred. Devin Nunes couldn't have stated it more beautifully. But you choose not to cover that part. You chose not to cover when Tom Cotton went out, when Richard Burr went out, when others, Chairman Nunes and others, and said that there was no. Hold on. I I understand that, Jonathan. And where was your passion and where was your concern when they all said that there was no no connection to Russia? Where was it then? You ha- you crickets from you guys because at the end of the so day the when the, no 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 hold on hold on I'm hold on hold on I'm making a point the point is this number one that it's interesting how when evidence comes out and people who have been briefed on the Russia connection come out and say that there was nothing that they have seen that proves a connection you choose not to cover that you don't stop the narrative you continue to perpetuate a false narrative when he came out yesterday and said quote I see no evidence that this happened when he said quote I think it's very possible but like I said we should know later you don't cover that part you only cover the parts that this is but let's go through what we do know okay hold on hold on let me and i'm trying to answer your question jonathan if you can calm down if you look at what the new york times reported on january 20 20 2012 2017 they said quote in its final days the obama administration has expanded the power of the national security agency to share globally intercepted personal communications with the government's 16 other intelligence agency before applying privacy protections the new rules significantly relax long-standing limits on what the nsa may do with the information gathered by its most powerful surveillance operation which are largely unregulated by wiretapping laws when Sarah Carter reported that by the start of the new year brought with it unexpected politicizing of the intelligence gathered in secret. 
Separately, the Obama administration amended a longstanding executive order allowing information intercepted through FISA warrants or by the National Security Agency to be shared by a wider audience in 16 government agencies as Obama was leaving offices. Intelligence normally reserved for just a handful of intelligence leaders was spread throughout briefings of, to scores of workers, and soon leaks began appearing in news media organizations, often in stories lacking context of how national security investigations are actually concluded. On March 3rd, Fox News Chief Police, Chief Anchor Brett Baer said the following, quote, There's a report in t June 2016, a FISA request by the Obama administration forward intelligence surveillance court to monitor communications involving Donald Trump and several other campaign officials. Then they got turned down, then in October. Then they renewed it and do a startup wiretap at Trump Tower with some computer and Russian banks. Baer continues, a June FISA request that foreign intelligence surveillance courts get shot down. A judge says, hold on, Jonathan, I'm gonna, you can ask, you can follow up. A judge says no go to monitoring Trump Tower. They go back in October. They do get a FISA granted. This is wiretap going on in a monitoring of computers that is sometimes they believe to a Russian counts. By all accounts, they don't come up with anything in the investigation, but the investigation continues, and we don't know it. On November 11, 2016, days after the election, Heat Street reported, quote, two separate sources with links to the counterintelligence community had confirmed to Heat Street that the FBI sought and was granted a FISA warrant in October, giving counter-surveillance intelligence permission to examine the activities of U.S. persons in Donald Trump's campaign with ties to Russia. The first request, which sources say named Trump, was denied back in June, but the second was drawn more narrowly and granted in October after evidence was presented of a server, possibly related to the Trump campaign and its alleged links to two banks, SVB Bank and Russia's Alpha Bank. Sources suggest that a FISA warrant was granted to look at the full context of related documents that concern U.S. person. Two separate sources with links to the counterintelligence community have confirmed that the FBI saw it and was granted a FISA warrant in October, giving counterintelligence permission to examine the activity of U.S. persons in Donald Trump's campaign with ties to Russia. They go on. The, F the FISA warrant was granted in connection with the investigation of suspected activities between the server and two banks. However, it is thought that the intelligence community that the warrant covers any U.S. person connected to this U.N. investigation and thus covers Donald Trump and at least three further men who have either formed part of his campaign or acted as media surrogates. On January 19th, the New York Times reported the following. American law enforcement and intelligence agencies are examining intercepted communication and financial transactions as part of a broad investigation of possible leaks between Russian officials and associates of President-elect Donald J. Trump. One official said intelligence reports based on some of the wiretapped communications have been provided to the White House. It is unclear which Russian officials under investigation or what particular conversations caught the attention of American eavesdroppers. The legal standard for opening these investigations is low. Uh, Andy McCarthy, writing a National Review, suggested, quote, from three reports from The Guardian, Heat Street, and The New York Times, it appears the FBI has concerns about a private server in Trump Tower that was connected to one or two Russian banks. Heat Street describes these concerns as centering on, quote, possible financial con uh, uh, and banking offenses. I italicize, this is his quote, I italicize the word offenses because it denotes crimes. Ordinarily, when crimes are suspected, there is a criminal investigation, not a national security investigation. We go on. Sarah Carter from Circa reporting, intelligence professionals tell Circa News they were concerned that some of the Russian intelligence was spread through group briefings to a much larger than usual audience back in January. This would have happened during the final days of the Obama administration when it expanded Executive Order 12 
3.333, which allows employees with a, quote, need to know, have further unfettered access to raw data stored by the NSA. The new rules allow the NSA to share, quote, raw signals intelligence information, including the names of those involved in phone conversations and emails. The expansion of the order makes it difficult to narrow in on the leaks, and frankly, it allows too many people access to the raw data, which only used to be available to a select few, said a U.S. official who spoke on the condition of anonymity and was not granted to speak on the authority. Numerous outlets, including the New York Times, have reported on the FBI investigation into Mr. Trump's advisors, BBC, and then McClatchy revealed the existence of of a multi-agency working group to coordinate investigations across the thing. On February 14th, the New York Times again refers to phone records and intercepted calls. Uh, Let me quote them. American Law Enforcement Intelligence Agency intercepted the communications around the same time they were discovering the evidence that Russia was trying to disrupt the presidential election by hacking into the Democratic National Committee, three officials said. The intelligence intelligence agencies then thought to learn whether the Trump campaign was colluding with the Russians on hacking or other efforts to influence the election. The officials interviewed in in recent weeks said that so far they have seen no evidence of such cooperation. The officials said that the intercepted communications were not limited to Trump campaign officials and other associates of Mr. Trump. The call logs and intercepted communications are are part of a larger trove of information that the FBI is sifting through. Days later, the New York Times then reports, quote, in the Obama administration's last days, some White House officials scrambled to spread information about Russian efforts to undermine the presidential election of Donald Trump, connections between the president-elect and Russians across the government. But the increasingly hard-to-escape conclusion that in our government were inc- that individuals in our government were instead trying to undermine the new president by saying, "quote This is the New York Times again." At intelligence agencies, there is a push to process as much raw intelligence into possible analysis to keep the report at relatively low classification levels to ensure a widespread readership across the government, and in some cases, quote, among them European allies. This allowed the upload of as much information, intelligence as possible, to Intellipedia, a secret wiki used by American analysis to share information. Sean Hannity went on on Fox to say, quote, but protections which are known as minimization procedures have been put in place to protect Americans that are not under warrant, American citizens that are caught up in their surveillance. And, quote, by the way, their identities are protected. Their constitutional rights are protected. Be protected. Now, of course, this was not the case with Lieutenant General Flynn because you no, know, a transcript of this call was created and then given to intelligence officials who then re- re- leaked this information, which is a felony, to the press that printed it. End quote. Last on Fox News on March 14th, Judge Andrew Napolitano made the following statement: "Quote: Three intelligence sources have informed Fox News." The President Obama went outside the chain of command. He didn't use the NSA. He didn't use the CIA. He didn't use the FBI. And he didn't use the Department of Justice. He used GCHQ. What is that? It's the initials for the British Intelligence Spying Agency. Uh, So simply by having two people saying to them, President needs transcripts of conversations involving candidate Trump's conversations involving President-elect Trump, he's able to get it. And there's no American, uh, American fingerprints on this. Putting the published counts and common sense together, this leads to a lot. So, Sean. Are you saying that despite the findings, the bipartisan findings of the Senate Intelligence Committee? No, they're not findings. They're two. There's a statement out today. They have not begun this. As you know, yesterday or two days ago, the Department of Justice asked for an additional week. So the statement clearly says that at this time, 
that they don't believe that. They have yet to go through the information. The Department of Justice, as you know, has not supplied this. But I've just read off to you. It's interesting. When the New York Times reports, hold on, hold on. Let's do the whole long answer. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. So are, are you saying that the president still stands by his allegation that President Obama ordered wiretapping or surveillance of Trump Tower, despite the fact that the Senate Intelligence Committee says they see no That's, indication but, that it happened. But Does the president still stand no, by the allegations? First of all, he stands by it, but again, you're mischaracterizing what happened today. No, the Senate, no, no, I know, no, no, the, the, exactly the, from their statement. I understand that, and that, that at the same time, they acknowledge that they have not been in, in contact with the Department of Justice. So, but at the, at the, again, I go back to what I said at the beginning. It's interesting. Hold on, hold on. It's interesting how, at the same time, where were you coming to the defense of that same intelligence committee and those members when they said there was no connection to Russia? You didn't seem to report it then. There was no, no, no. So you want, hold on. You want to comment and you want to perpetuate a false narrative. Actually, I when, report when, that Clapper said that. I, I but but when those individuals have gone out time and time again, when Chairman Nunes has said, number one, that there was no information that he's aware of that that existed, that got zero reporting. Number two, when he went out yesterday and said, quote, I think it's very possible, you don't include that in the question mark. The bottom line is, is that the president said last night that he will be providing, that there would be additional information coming forward. He's, there's a ton of media reports out there that indicate that something was going on on during the 26th election. And I think it's interesting. Where was the questioning of the New York Times or these other outlets when that was going on? So where was the question? I, I believe you will. Jim. Yeah, you were just quoting uh, Sean Hannity there. Uh, the House and Senate Intelligence Committees are I also quoting the FBI. No, no, I, I get you're going to cherry pick. The FBI director, you're, you're citing Sean Hannity no, no, okay. and Andrew Napoleon. You also look over, you also tend to overlook all the other sources that, because I know you want to cherry pick it. But at the, no, no, but, but you do. But where was your concern about the New York Times reporting? You didn't seem to have a concern with that. We, we have done, we have done plenty of reporting on all of this. No, no, but, but you we, want to cherry pick connections between one, the one commentary, one piece president, of commentary. Associates of the president to the Russians. That has all been looked at. And no, wait, how do you know all this? The, 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 that, how do you seem to be such an expert in this? I'm saying that this has been looked at, Sean. How, how do you know it, it's been looked at? Been hold on, hold on. Where, where is, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm afraid to understand. Where Can you tell me how you know that all of this has, quote, been looked at? You're asking me whether you or not You made a it's statement, you said, quote, all of this our, has been looked outlet, at. Other outlets have reported. No, no. So, okay. So, we're so when your outlet says it's all been looked at, the president and and the Russians during the 2016 campaign, it sounds like during the context of that investigation, there might have been some intercepted communications. The House Intelligence Committee chairman did mention that, and we have reported that. Others have reported that uh, in, on our air and in various publications. But Sean, what you are what you are refusing to answer, the question that you're refusing to answer is whether or not the president still no, believes no, what he believes. No, I just said it to Jonathan. I didn't Based, refuse to but answer But you, you have a Senate and House Intelligence Committee, both leaders from both parties on both of those panels saying that they don't see any evidence of any wiretapping. So how can the president go on and continue to say Because that's not because things? you're mischaracterizing what Chairman Nunez said. He said, quote, I think it's possible he's following up on this. So to suggest that, is, is actually, and you, said, you're said, stating said, unequivocally said, you that you somehow. literally. He said, if you take the right, president Right, and I think that we've already cleared that wrong. up. And he said exactly that. But the president has already said clearly when he referred to wiretapping, right. he was referring to surveillance. Sounds, so that's. Like, but it sounds like, Sean, that okay. you, you and the president are saying now, well, we don't mean wiretapping anymore no, because that's we, not true anymore. We, no, no. So now we, we're going to explain no, no, that that's to not, other 
forms of surveillance. What's it going to be next? No, no, uh, Jim, I, I think that's cute. But at the end of the day, we've talked about this for three or four days. What the, par the president had the, quote, wiretapping, in quotes, he was referring to broad surveillance. And now you're basically going back. We talked about this several days ago. The bottom line is, is that the, the investigation by the House and the Senate has not been provided all of the, the information. And when it does, but where was the concern? Hold on. I just reports, not not evidence. No, no. no. Not what I, I think the president the addressed that last night. He said there's more to come. These are merely pointing out that I think there is widespread reporting that throughout the 2016 election there was surveillance that was done on a variety of people that there was came an up. Investigation going well, on into whether Jim, there were contacts I find it interesting the that you, campaign you somehow believe that of you. Of course, they're going to be looking at okay. these, these various things. Okay, I, mean, I, I get it. Somehow. You seem to believe that you have all of this information. You've been read in on all of these things, which I find very interesting. I have been read in by the FBI. Well, so director, you're coming to some serious conclusions for a guy that has zero intelligence. Give me some credit. I'll give you some. A little intelligence, maybe. But no, but clearance. What I'm saying is that I wasn't done. Those, clearance. Those two, those two panels. Maybe both. Well, come on. Those two panels have spoken with the FBI director and have I, been I understand told there's that. no evidence of this. Okay. So I, I think just, this question has well, been asked and answered, Jim. Ms. Farson just had the president say It's interesting wrong. how you jump to all of these conclusions about what they have, what they don't have, and you seem to know all the answers. But at the end of the day, there was clearly a ton of reporting. Now, Hold on, Jim. Let me answer. No, I, I, I think that... You, there's been a, a vast amount of reporting, which I just detailed, about activity that was going on in the 2016 election. There's no question that there were surveillance techniques used throughout this. I think by, by a variety of outlets that have reported this activity concluded. So, and I think when you actually ask those two people whether or not, and as Chairman Nunes says yesterday, when you take it literally in wiretapping, the president's already been very clear that he didn't mean specifically wiretapping. He had it in quotes. So I think to fall back on that is a false is a false premise. That's not what he said. He was very clear about that when he talked about it yesterday. Major. Okay, so just to be clear, you're good and the president's good with stories that have anonymous sources. No, it's interesting. I, I think it's when it comes to the Russia story and the on-the-record sources who have been briefed by the FBI continue to conclude that there's nothing there. You guys continue to fall back on these anonymous sources and perpetuate a false narrative. And yet, when it comes to us talking about all these reports in there, you then criticize anonymous sources. No, it's just interesting the, the sort of the double standard that exists when it comes to us citing stories when it comes to, and then how you intend to use them. So let me ask you what the president said last night. He was asked by Tucker Carlson, you're in charge of the various intelligence apparatus that report to you. You can right. ask them. And he you said can, he was and really, you no, can, in the middle. can I ask my question? Yeah. He said he was reluctant to do that. So right. let me just put two things together. Earlier this week you told us when asked, has the president directed the Justice Department to collect and distribute information to the various relevant congressional committees? If I remember your answer correctly, it was, no, we hadn't right. given that specific direction. Has that changed? Has he now directed no. the Justice Department? And is he asking himself for the intelligence agencies that report to him to provide him specific answers to these underlying questions that are separate from the reported no. you're, you're citing? No. Why not? Because I think we've covered this before. I think that gets into uh, interfering this, and I think that the appropriate process is to allow the House and the Senate to do this so that it doesn't appear as though we're interfering. I understand that. But as I, I mentioned to you this the other day, Major, if we go ask them, then you're going to turn around and say, you guys interfered with something and you pressured them. It's a catch-22 for us. And the bottom line is, is that I think the president made it clear two Sundays ago that he wanted the House and the Senate Intelligence Committee to work with these agencies to collect the information and make a report. That's what we're doing in, in order to make sure that there's a separation from us so that you can't turn around and then accuse us of, of forcing or pressuring an agency to produce a document. We're asking them to go through the process uh, uh, of, of 
of the separation of powers and actually going to those different entities. The Department of Justice said yesterday they want an additional week, and we're allowing that process to play through. Got it? Um, is the president making these statements based on classified information? I, I'm not going to get into what the how the president makes a decision. I think that what I think is clear, though, is through the reporting that I just read, is that there's clearly widespread open source material pointing to surveillance that was uh, conducted during the 2016 election. That information is available to members of the House and the Senate. It's public, as you noted. They are looking at that same information, making a conclusion. No, no, they that have. No, 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 that's not true. Any evidence to back up the president's claims. So, if there is other information, why won't the president release it? I, again, I'm not going to get into that yet. I think the president discussed that last night on on his interview, and we'll let the process play out. I, I understand what he discussed. I think they have they have they they have clearances in the House and the Senate Intelligence Committees. They're able to conduct this, Alexis. Sean, um, I'd like to ask you about two topics, but can you help us all by calling up here right now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to. I understand. I actually call the question. Yeah. Alexis, if you, you don't want to answer the question, I can call on somebody call else. On the New York no. Times, Thanks, Sean. Gabby. Um, in the case that Judge Watson issued against the restraining order against Trump's second travel ban, sorry, the president's second travel ban, um, he included one of the president's tweets, and this was also included in the Washington State case. So I'm wondering, um, does it give the president any pause that this virtual paper trail is creating impact, is having an impact on advancing his agenda? Well, I mean, I think that the Department of Justice statement speaks for itself when it comes to that last night. The, the, this, the federal law that I read out clearly gives the president the authority. This is, this is what we argued in there in the first one. I think for a judge to ignore that statute and talk about tweets or interpreting something that happened during the campaign trail is is not in keeping with what they're how they're supposed to interpret the law. I'm not going to uh, continue to comment. We tailored that additional that second executive order to comply with the judge's order. I think so to go back now and to say, well, based on how the first order was conceived uh, makes absolutely no sense, but I'm going to let the Department of Justice uh, litigate that, how they do it. But th that's the, the second order literally was tailored to the concerns that were rendered by the, f the Ninth Circuit in the first executive order. So for them to then turn around and make arguments that are non-germane seems kind of odd, but I'll let the Department of Justice do that. Zeke. Uh, one quick follow-up uh, on on the loss of the, of the TRO yesterday. Um, is the president concerned that comments made by his staff uh, uh, came up in in, in this in this in, in this lawsuit, particularly comments by Stephen Miller saying that the uh, that the second travel ban would have roughly the same policy outcome as the first? That was the intent that was used by the judge in that case to sort of rent, rent, to sort of have to, to get that TRO yesterday. Is he concerned that that? Is he concerned that the message that there's mixed messaging coming out of the West Wing on this bank? No, I, he's not, and I think that um, the Department of Justice will be pursuing um, avenues that will seek to, to remedy this. Um, I think when you read through the the, um, the court's ruling in Hawaii, in particular, it just doesn't seem to make sense. Uh, as I mentioned to Gabby, I mean the 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 executive or the second executive order was literally tailored. So to go back and talk about statements that occurred you know, in some cases well before even the first one, uh, seems to, to not be an accurate reading of, of the law. But I'll let the Department of Justice, um, you know, be the ones that, that argue this and, and make the appropriate legal argument. Hunter. Uh, Olivia, I'm sorry. I have one more for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, go back to the, the, your long list of uh, sort of 
there are news reports you mentioned, one that uh, as an accusation that perhaps GCHQ was involved. Did the president ever raise this with his conversation with Theresa May? Um, and would, if this, if that were to pan out, would that in, uh, imperil the special relationship between? I, the I, again, these are just uh, that that happened. I think two days ago, um, it was something that was uh, you know reported on air. And I think the point is is that there's been a, I no no it has not been raised. Uh, but I do think that again we're not. I, I'm just all we're doing is literally reading off what other stations and people have reported, and I think that casts into concern. Of some of the activities that may have occurred during the 16 election. We're not casting judgment on that. I think the idea is to say that if these organizations, these individuals mm -hmm. came to these conclusions, they, are merit, they merit looking into. Olivier. Thank you, Sean. i got a, a couple for you. There's a, a news report about the President's meeting with the Saudi Defense Minister slash Deputy Crown Prince that says that the Defense Minister uh, told the President about a, a plot, a terrorist plot against the United States. Uh, did that happen? What, what's the nature of that? How worried should Americans be? Um, we're obviously never going to comment on any kind of specific threats to the homeland. Uh, we're obviously committed to ensuring the safety of every American. Um, but it should be no secret that we share intelligence um, amongst a variety of countries. Um, and so we would never comment on a, on a potential threat or not that existed. Uh, but we appreciate uh, several countries. Uh, that we work with closely to make sure that we do what we can to protect the homeland. One more. Um, Secretary Tillerson in Asia said that 20 years of diplomatic efforts have failed to uh, get North Korea to denuclearize. Um, that's, that's plainly true, but the question, I guess, that comes up is, does the President plan a break from diplomacy altogether, or are we looking now at uh, only the use of force or some other coercive measures? I'm not going to comment on that. I think the, the the president never takes anything off the table. Uh, that's something he's he's been very clear about. And uh, and with that, Blake. Sean, over the course of the campaign, uh, the president had made a couple of different many comments about the, the budget and uh, the deficit. At one point, he said he thought uh, that he could get rid of the national debt over the course of eight years. At another point, he said that he would insist uh, on a balanced budget relatively soon. Now, the baseline that the administration is giving us is. Well, at least we're not adding on to the deficit, which is nearly half a trillion dollars. So I'm curious as to how we got from that point to now to where he was talking at one point about eliminating a bunch and now it's adding on to I, I think Director Mulvaney addressed that. I, I think, look, a couple things. Number one, the Senate dragged its feet on getting Director Mulvaney confirmed uh, and in office. So I think we're way, we were behind the curve on, on having a director of OMB. Uh, we got in here. I think we predict, produced a blueprint that is consistent with the President's principles and priorities. Um, but he's already made it very clear that we'll have a budget uh, probably sometime in May that will outline the more specifics of the revenue piece, the, the entitlement piece, uh, and the full details of, of all of this. But that's eliminating a $20 trillion debt and tackling the current deficit is something that's going to take a little bit of time. It's something that the President's committed to reducing. And I think we've talked very extensively about the President's commitment uh, to protecting taxpayer dollars and using them more efficiently. This budget and a lot of the action the President has took on, the, you know, on other projects, including the F-18, the next generation of, of Air Force One, show that the President is committed on a very, very personal basis to getting involved in programs and pr uh, policies uh, to reduce the deficit and to respect taxpayer money. So this is step one, and it's a down payment on that goal. Future steps, there are lots of cuts in here, but no matter which way you splice the numbers, anyone will tell you, if you want to drop it somehow, you've got to get to entitlements. I understand. Is, is that on the table, potentially, I, yes or look, no? Look, as Director Mulvaney put it, like, there's been, he, is, he was chosen for this job because of his uh, 
commitment to fiscal austerity and respect of taxpayer dollars um, and budgeting skills. And I think that we've got to get past today. Uh, let us get down that, and, and we'll have more for you. But, but again, I think this budget is a huge down payment on the President's goal of showing his commitment to fiscal responsibility and respecting the taxpayer. Eamon. President puts together his tax return this year. Will he release it publicly? Presumably, think, it's not under right. audit, right? Well, St. Patrick's Day is tomorrow. That's what I'm more focused on. Right. Um, Presumably, his 2016 returns are not under audit yet. So, right. will well, he release I, those again, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when it comes to it. I think the president's been very clear about his position on his tax returns, uh, and we'll have to see where it goes from there. But the president's been very clear throughout the campaign and consistent that he's under a routine audit. John Gizzi. Thank you, Sean. Reading the draft of the budget, listening to Director Mulvaney's comments yesterday and today, it would appear that the National Endowment for the Arts would be phased out entirely in two years. Uh, can you name any other government programs or even cabinet departments, such as housing and urban development and education, in which its entire function may be phased out or reduced to another agency and government or even the state? Uh, John, uh, who's here from OMB, is the appropriate person to ask on that. I, he can, I know that they've done a several briefings on the budget. We could have OMB definitely get back to you on this um, if, you can, if you can contact him after this. Caitlin. Going back to the fact that the President used wiretap in quotes, and last night he said it was very important that it was in quotes, but out of the four tweets where he accuses Barack Obama of wiretapping him, he only used quotes in two of them. In two of them, he specifically said that he tapped his phones. He didn't use the term wiretapping. And just minutes ago, you said it was communications being swept up. So can you definitively say that he still feels like Barack Obama wiretapped Trump Tower, or does he feel like it was broadly surveilled? I, I think, Which is it? Look, he, he was very clear about this last night. He talked about it, as you said. Yeah, he was. He said that he meant it. He put it in quotes. It was very broad. Uh, and so that that's what he meant by the use of the term. Huh? So was it... Phone tapping? No, was it was it surveillance. I think we've covered this like ten times. Uh, but it hasn't, there's no specific answer of what it was. What did I understand the that, I, but, but, but that's the point of, of them looking into this, Caitlin. I think the idea is, is to look into this, have this House and Senate Intelligence Committees look into this and report back, Vivian. Um, so I want to follow up on that. Uh, and if all of this comes out and there's no proof that President Obama had any role in any wiretapping, that there was no wiretapping. Will President Trump then offer an apology? To I've President asked Obama? this like three times this week, and I think the answer is we're not going to prejudge where the where where this where the outcome of this is. I think we've got to let the the process work its will, and then when there's a report that comes out conclusive from there, then we'll be able to comment. But to to jump ahead of this process at this point um, would be inappropriate. Can I go to Brian Crabtree of Salem Radio, Georgia? Brian? Sean, for taking questions from a talk radio host. Right, right here in Georgia and not in the D.C. swamp. Uh, first, I have two questions. Uh, on leaks of the president's tax returns and classified information, President Trump campaigned on draining the swamp. The American people then want to know why the FBI director Pompey and Commissioner Costa have not yet been fired by the Trump administration. And my second question is with regard to care. Many conservatives are really concerned that Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, is leading President Trump down a very long path on health care. Well, how do you react to that? Well, on the first one, there's no personnel updates uh, with respect to the one, with the exception of the ones that I mentioned today. Uh, on the second, you know, Donald Trump's not one to be led by a, down a path by anyone. Um, I think he is, he talked today at the lunch 
uh, with the Taoiseach and Speaker Ryan, uh, that it, he is working hand in glove with, with, the, with the Speaker. Uh, he talked about it last night. Uh, and this is a commitment that he has to, to enacting health care. This is a, a process that he uh, is committed to, wants to uh, see through because of a goal that he wants to achieve, which is making a more patient-centric health care system that lowers the cost and increases the options. But uh, th he doesn't get led down any paths. He leads very clearly. And I think if you listen to Speaker Ryan today, he's um, in agreement that there's been a strong partnership between the House uh, the administration and I think the Senate so far to make sure that we get this bill done and that's that's what our goal is going to be and that's you know I, so I would argue that we've actually done a pretty good job of getting that done. Jonathan. Uh, to cut the National Institutes of Health budget by 19 percent. Um, it's as you know a very important uh, part of the government for funding medical research. Yeah. Um, Budget Director Mulvaney yesterday acknowledged that the private sector can't fill that gap. When there are rare diseases, we do need a really robust government presence. The President invited a rare disease patient to his speech to Congress so he could talk about medical innovation and new cures. How do you square those things uh, when you're cutting NIH by 19%? And many Conservatives actually wanted to increase the budget. I, I think Director Mulvaney actually, somebody asked him during the Q&A period how the same question and he suggested that it would be, like my outtake from listening to him yesterday was that it wouldn't be cut i mean but, I but again there's that. this assumption in washington jonathan that if you get less money it's a cut and i think that the reality is is that in a lot of these there's efficiencies duplicity ways to spend money better and i think if you're wasting a lot of money uh that's not a true dollar spent and i think when you look at the way that director mulvaney and the president approached this budget it was can we ask can we get more with the same dollar, can we find duplicity? Can we find efficiencies? Can we uh, combine, you know, facilities in some cases at NIH to enhance a better experience, um, whereby we actually re have an outcome that's reduced savings? But to assume that because you spend a ton of dollars, uh, you're going to get a better outcome. I mean, with all due respect, I mean, you look at the District of Columbia; they spend by far more per capita than any other city in the country on on education, and I think they have, you know. Uh, tremendous issues that are constantly being dealt with in their education system. So to assume that just because you throw money at a problem, it's somehow magically solved is a very Washington way of looking at a, at a budget problem. I understand that, and I think part of the issues that we're working, as the director outlined a couple weeks ago during the passback process, is to work with them to talk to each of these agencies and departments about how to walk through their budget um, in a way that ensures that they can continue to do the core functions that they want while finding ways to reduce waste, get rid of enhance efficiencies, and, um, and get rid of duplicity. But that, that is a very Washington way of looking at a problem when you say, let's just look at how much we spend as a measure of how much we care or how much we're going to get done. Um, and I think that the President's been very clear as to what his priorities on this budget are and the outcomes that we expect from every dollar that we spend. So for being in office for 55 days or 50 some odd days, whatever it's been, we've had a unique ability to go far, go forward so far and make a very strong commitment to enhancing our national security, uh, to protect the country and to keep America safe and its citizens safe, while at the same time making sure that we don't ask for people to work harder, to spend more to Washington, send more to Washington that gets ultimately wasted. I just don't see how that's showing respect to the American people or the American taxpayer, especially when so many people are working two, sometimes three jobs, or you know, or, or both parents are working, 
just to, to, to get by, pay the mortgage. And we're saying, hey, don't worry, keep sending more money to Washington, and we're not going to take the time. But there should be a review of all of these agencies. Director Mulvaney was pointing out how many you know, unauthorized agencies and departments and programs we have throughout the government. If we're going to do that, at some point there should be a debate on whether or not these agencies and programs are achieving their mission. Um, and if they are, then great, fund them. But if they're not, we shouldn't be asking hardworking American taxpayers to send more money to Washington to fund things that don't further those goals. Thank you guys very much. I look forward to seeing you all tomorrow. Take care. Have a good one. Listen, will we put it to rest, John? <laughs>